It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. My next guest considers himself a citizen of adoptee land and not otherwise connected to the adoption community. His name is Jonathan, and during this episode, he shares a part of his relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion story. He has never had any angst or embarrassment about being an adopted person. It is just a part of his life. Jonathan never felt a need to purposefully connect with other adoptees or write about his experience or attend conferences. He believes that it is okay to be okay. That makes perfect sense to me. There is no one way to be an adoptee. In fact, there are as many ways to be an adoptee as there are adoptees. Jonathan describes there being occasional fog-lifting moments in his life, such as a genealogy assignment in high school. He had classmates that were adopted, so he knew that even outside of his family, adoptive families existed. In this episode, he shares that his adopted sister's search for her biological family prompted him to search for his first family. Allow me to introduce to you someone who believes that it's well within your right to live your adoptive experience in whatever way works for you. He does get value from listening to the voices of the host and guest of several podcasts. He has been a guest on Who Am I Really, hosted by Damon Davis, and often hears people say things that apply to him and his experience. Hello, Jonathan. It's so good to be able to have a conversation with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. I want to read your bio. Okay. So you're a 58-year-old adoptee living the suburban dream in a coastal town south of Boston, Massachusetts. And you were born in November of 64, same year as me. I'm a little older, though. Mm -hmm. In Albany, New York, and grew up about an hour south of Albany. You moved to Boston for college in 1982, where you met your wife during your senior year. You married in October 88. I got married in 88, too. October, October 1st. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And have lived with a varying constellation of cats and dogs ever since. You have just one dog now, a miniature schnauzer named Lucy, Mm -hmm. and you have had a successful career in human services and is proud of the work you've done. I think it's always nice when you're living the dream. So wherever you want to start and however much you want to share about your relinquishment and adoption journey. Okay. I was relinquished at birth. I don't know where I was for the first three months until my adoptive parents brought me home. I grew up with adopted brother and adopted sister and then 
a sister that was biological to my parents. She's the youngest. I grew up really in a, a nice middle-class life. My parents were born and raised in the town where I grew up, so they knew everybody. And my father was the editor and vice president of our local newspaper, so he really knew everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and we lived out in the countryside, and we had close friends next door, and we went on vacations that were experiential, you know, historic sites, or you know, we, occasionally we would go to Disney World or that sort of thing. My parents you know, encouraged our interests. We always knew that they loved us. They just provided a great home. It, the fact that we were adopted was just how we came into the house, but we were their children. Mm-hmm. There was never any doubt about that. And my parents were each one of four children, so there's lots of cousins, and uh, I knew all of my grandparents. I don't know, I just it was a good life. You know, one of the things that we talked about when we first connected is how adoptees, some don't want to write. They don't want to publish a, a memoir, for example. Mm-hmm. They may not even want to go to a... A support group or or be connected in that way with the community. And right. I loved your answer when I asked you, do you have any comments about adoptees who don't want to be, I'll say, better connected to the community or, yeah, yeah or nor want to write or publish was part of the question too. Right. Well, I, I just have never really had any angst about my adoption. When I was young, my parents had a a book. It was a two-book set, one for the kids and one for the parents. I assume the parents' side was how to navigate adoption. The book for the kids was about adoption, that that you were adopted. What I'm going to say now isn't word for word from the book, but my takeaway from the book was a, a portion where it said, your mother couldn't care for you or couldn't take care of you. And so you were adopted by your parents. That was always enough for me. My mother couldn't take care of me. It didn't pass any judgment, really, because I interpreted it as there was some reason that had nothing to do with societal pressure. (laughs) Mm-hmm. had nothing to do with mental illness, had nothing to do with economics of of her household. It was just she couldn't take care of me. That and, was sufficient. And, and that, that that was always sufficient. Mm-hmm. As I've gotten older and have learned more about the societal norms at the time, what it ended up really meaning is that no support either financial or family support or just no supports in general. Life had been very difficult for her to raise me. I might not have had a great life with her, mm-hmm. especially at that time. You know, if, if we were having this conversation and I was born in 1992, it'd be very different. Things had changed, mm-hmm. but at the time, 
it just was very looked down upon for a woman to give birth without being married. In my case, <laughs> my birth parents were having an affair and my birth father was married with two children. It was already an awkward situation. Right. My birth mother was described as being very uptight and when she was at the the home for unwed mothers, she really had a great amount of difficulty talking about the pregnancy and just anything surrounding her and me. And, and so I think she would have had a very hard time emotionally raising me right. at that time, yeah. even if she, even if she had the support of her family mm-hmm. for me, it probably was better that I was placed for adoption to grow up in a different family. Right. You know, I, I lucked out. <laughs> right. I lucked out and got a good family. So. Right. Yeah, I appreciate it. You saying when we were talking about this, this very question that the reason we're doing this podcast and recording it, it's going to be like heard worldwide, right? It's it's like mm-hmm. it's a major contribution to the community. And in, in doing so, by agreeing to do it, you are yeah, you you're you're connected. Like you like as long mm-hmm. as it's up there you you right. yeah, you're deeply connected. So I, I really right. yeah, I appreciate that. And and because men, male adoptees are so underrepresented in the community, this is this is important. So I, I just, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you're on my podcast. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't have any trouble talking about the fact that I'm adopted. I don't have any trouble talking to total strangers about the fact that I'm adopted. I feel like it's just you and I having a conversation that it will go out to the wider audience. I just sort of put that aside. And I do you know, understand that, you know, the podcast is, is putting myself out there and, and is contributing. But at the same time, mo- for the most part, I just feel like I'm a citizen of adoptee land without being a, an active member. Right. So what would spark you to search and want to get more answers than you had? From time to time, I would think about who my birth mother was and for the most part I didn't I didn't want to find out that she had had a bad life or that she was homeless or drug addicted or any other sort of negative things and interestingly I didn't in my mind think about whether she had had a positive life in 2018 I was driving home from the gym my sister called me to say that she was searching for her biological mother. It's a good thing I was sitting down. <laughs> and it's a good thing that there was a parking lot nearby that I could pull into because my sister is the last person that I would ever have thought would embark on a search. Mm. She presents herself as very self-assured and, and sort of knows who she is as well. And I just never, I never pictured her questioning anything or wanting to seek answers. We'd never really had any conversations about adoption at all, other than wondering about medical information and our ethnicity. That's usually a big one. Yeah, ethnicity. Yeah. 
over the course of the conversation, I got to thinking that if I had, if I wanted to have any chance of connecting with either of my parents, I needed to act now because my birth mother was 29 when I was born and my birth father was 39. It was already unlikely that he was still alive and it was sort of iffy whether she was would still be alive because she would at that point in 2018 be around 80 81 years old i'm just wondering you had their you knew their identity i i knew I, well i had received my non-identifying uh information several years prior mm-hmm. to 2018 this same sister had had a health issue at one point. They weren't sure what the reason for it was. And so she had requested her non-identifying information to try to see if there was anything in, in her medical background that was known at the time of her adoption that would help. And so it seemed prudent to for me to uh, receive my information as well. I see, yeah. And the report I received from Catholic Charities was very comprehensive. It didn't talk about just family medical background. It talked about who my birth mother was, who my birth father was, birth mother's demeanor during the pregnancy, her family constellation. She had a brother who was married at the time with three kids, and he was studying for his MBA. And that was important information for later on when I was trying to figure out who she was. Right. Yeah. So I had, I had a good amount of information and there was nothing at the time that was particularly relevant for my medical situation, which is generally pretty healthy. So I did have that and I knew that information and that, that sort of helped prompt the search. Mm-hmm. So your sister tells you that she's searching. She hadn't found anybody yet, right? Right. But she had been in contact at that point with a third cousin who was into genealogy. So this cousin was able to help her put some of the pieces together. So how long would it be before you searched after your sister? Well, I think my sister talked to me about this, I think, in April of 2018. In May, when I visited her for her birthday, my mother was was there as well. And while my mother was in the shower, we, were, we had the TV on, and there was a sale for Ancestry DNA. So <laughs> I got online and ordered a kit. It came. It, it sat on my kitchen counter for a week while I stared at it every day. And <laughs> I think I waited a month, maybe two months. <laughs> okay. Um, it's not uncommon for people to order it and then right. put the brakes on. Yeah. <laughs> so I spit into the tube and sent it off and I received the results no more than four weeks. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it was only two weeks. It was very quick very quick. And I matched with a first cousin and an aunt. So I went on to look at their information and the cousin 
was checking Ancestry regularly. The aunt hadn't checked it for years. That evening, and this was probably 9 o'clock at night that I got the, the, the notification mm-hmm. from the Ancestry. So I crafted a, a letter and I said, this is awkward, but I, you know, your first cousin and I'm trying to find my biological parents. And I told the whole awkward story of having been the product of an affair. I gave bio, you know, biographical information about myself, you know, where I grew up. And I, I was just trying to paint a picture of myself in the best possible light. I said I wasn't trying to disrupt anybody's lives. And all the things that adoptees say in a, in a carefully crafted letter. And I sent it off to my cousin, and she responded the next day. And she put me in touch with a second cousin. Well, actually, I guess a first cousin once removed. And so he and I talked. While we were talking, he was te- texting his sister. She figured out who my biological father was and contacted one of my siblings. Mm. And so this all happened in a matter of five weeks. For me, it was very quick. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah. Um, What were you feeling uh, through that time? uh, Well, that's interesting because what I was feeling then is really hard to describe. Would it be like excitement at all? Yes, but a nervous excitement. Mm -hmm. Not, I would never attach the word joyous excitement to it. Right. Or happy excitement. Just sort of nervous excitement. Mm -hmm. Not Because I wasn't sure how this was all going to play out. Right. None of us is sure. You never know. Yeah. You never know. (laughs) But in my case... This, this first cousin, before we had even figured out how I fit into the extended family, she invited me to the family reunion. <laughs> and I very politely said, oh, my wife and I are already busy that week. <laughs> because the, <laughs> there was no way in heck that I was going to show up at, right. at this family reunion without knowing how I fit. But it turns out adoption was adoption and actually search and reunion was a part of my family already. Mm. My family had already experienced that and it was, and it was a positive reunion. So it, it was looked at as, Oh, there's another family member. Great. Mm -hmm. So there had been other biological family members that were adoptees that were in reunion. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Well, Actually, it was a it was a, an adoptee that had been adopt that had been placed out of the family, right? And then, and a, a search was started by her, well, by her sister, really. Um, and then, with the blessing of the person's mother, and I've talked to the birth mother and the birth mother's mother, and I've heard both sides of their story. Mm. It was just, it was another situation of not being able to support the birth mother and both financially and emotionally. And, you know, it, it had a, a good outcome in the end, I mean, in terms of, of reunion, but, you know, at the time of, of the pregnancy, it was, it was hard. So um, interesting. Did you go to the family yeah. reunion? 
So I did. Yes, I absolutely did. Because <laughs> by that time, the cousin that figured out who my birth father was contacted my half brother and told him about me. Mm-hmm. We connected by text message and arranged a time to talk. So we probably talked for about 45 minutes. He had already at that point contacted my two half sisters. Now my half brother's younger than me. My half sisters are older than me. Are they full siblings? No, they're half siblings. Okay. So a couple days later, I got a friend request from one of my half sisters and she also sent a message through Facebook messenger. And she said, well, I hear you're my brother. I don't like change. This is going to take a little getting used to. Mm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I said, well, we don't have to rush anything, but you know, maybe we can talk. Maybe we can talk next week. In the meantime, she was cleaning house and dusting things. And she came across the wedding photo of our father and their mother. And she had seen my picture on Facebook. I had put a a picture on Facebook that was just straight on. You know, people could see my face. They could zoom in and, and see what really what I look like. She immediately took a photo of that picture and sent it to me because I looked just like my birth father. Mm. What was that like seeing a picture of him? It it was really nice to look like somebody. Yeah. To look like somebody else. (laughs) I look like like myself, but but it was very nice to look like somebody else. Mm -hmm. I guess unconsciously I've looked around the world to see if anybody else looks like me. To see this photo and to see... In particular, his ears. He and I have the same ears. Mm. <laughs> but we also, our face is similar. Our eyes are similar. Just our facial structure uh, is very similar. So it was interesting to see that. And then later to see other pictures of him through the years. I actually think as he aged, he and I look less alike. But my half-siblings I'll say that I look the most like him of the four of us. Hmm. Wow. So I wonder how that makes yeah. them feel. You know, I don't know. And I, I get the feeling maybe, I don't know. I, I sense a little bit of jealousy about that, mm-hmm. but they certainly look like each other and they look like, you know, our father and their mother. So, you know, they do have that, but I I definitely see where I, I look the most like him. Right. Wow. So what about your maternal side? Well, that was a little more difficult to figure out. I did match with a first cousin, but this person had a screen name rather than her actual name in the ancestry listing. So I really couldn't, I couldn't do anything sort of Google searches or Facebook searches to, to try to figure out anything. But then I clicked onto her profile. I could see that she had posted a question on the Ancestry site back when it was in its infancy, before the DNA testing was part of 
their business. And she had been looking for Polish ancestors, was hitting a lot of brick walls in finding information. But in that, she had named her father and her grandfather. And that was instrumental in me figuring out who my birth mother was. And I was able to pair that with other information. The affair that my birth father had with my birth mother was not a secret to his wife. Mm. And she had a conversation with my oldest half-sister at one point, telling her that our father had had an affair and that she knew about it, and that someday a sibling could come knocking at the door. When my sister told me this, she also told me where, where they lived at the time. And she gave me the street name where their house was. Apparently, her mother knew that my birth mother lived around the corner. Mm. So I tucked away that street name <laughs> in the back of my head, and I wrote, it, I wrote it down as quickly as I could once I got in my car. So now, armed with a last name from my cousin in Ancestry, in that Ancestry post, and the street name where my birth father lived and looking at a map and then comparing census records, I was able to narrow down my birth mother's name. Mm. Similar to my contact with my first cousin on, on my paternal side, I sent a message to my cousin. And the next day she changed her, her username in Ancestry to her actual name. Mm. We ended up texting back and forth. She was on a flight delay in Los Angeles and had time to kill. So we spent about three hours sending messages back and forth to one another. And she agreed to, to contact my birth mother. She was just going to say that a relative was doing some genealogy research. When she got back home, she did, in fact called my birth mother. She arranged that I would be calling at about four o'clock in the afternoon. When she was talking to my birth mother and was telling her about this relative that was going to call her, she said, this relative is, is adopted. And my birth mother's mother said, oh, my cousin said the way she said it, it was a realization that, oh no, my secret is out. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was that one of those Oh, you caught me. Right. <laughs> so of, she hadn't told of, anyone. She may have told her her husband. She was married after she gave birth to me. Mm -hmm. She may have told him, but she had never told my half-sister that she had. So fast forward to that afternoon when I placed the phone call. She denied ever having a son in 1964. Mm. Just flat out denied it. She had worked as an LPN. She had enough medical background to know about DNA. I said, well, DNA isn't wrong, but she continued to deny it. I got my wits about me and I just said, well, I was hoping to connect with my birth mother and let her know that I've had a good life. I had good parents. I had a good upbringing and that. Overall, things are very good for me. 
she just sort of let that sit there. <laughs> and I thanked her for her time and, and got off the phone. Mm. Um, from everything I've heard, even if people don't want a relationship, they do want to know that their kid it turned out okay. Right. That they you had a, so a I, healthy environment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, at the very least, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just say the words and, and she'll know. I, I hung up and it was, I won't lie, it was a gut punch. Yeah. I expected it to go better because I'm generally optimistic about new situations turning out well. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. So this was a Friday afternoon. On Sunday, I got a message from my cousin. She had been in communication with my half-sister that day. It turns out that now that the secret was out, my birth mother did tell, finally tell my half-sister that she had had a son. Mm. But my half-sister conveyed to my cousin as well that my birth mother was in the early stages of dementia. Okay. Mm. So that added a layer. Yeah. So, uh... um, because, because her denial could have just been that it was late in the day mm-hmm. and she wasn't thinking clearly. A lot of people with dementia, as the day goes on, it's called sundowning and you just, they just have a hard time at that point processing information or remembering it's, it's not uncommon. And I don't know if that was the case necessarily. At that point, I had already figured out my half sister's name. And I found her on Facebook and I sent a friend request and I told her that I wouldn't try contacting my birth mother again and that any communication that I did send, I would send to her because I didn't have a full grasp of the situation because I, I just knew that that my birth mother was, was in the early stages of dementia. And I offered to meet with my half-sister, I was going to be in the area for, for another family reunion. The communication was always matter of fact. It was never, oh, I'm excited to have a brother or anything like that. It was... So uh, it was short of being welcoming? Yes, it was, it was very short of welcoming, mm-hmm. um, which was a, also seemed a little incongruent with my sister's postings on Facebook, which were sort of always happy and always, you know, celebrating her kids' achievements and, right. and that sort of thing. Yeah. It was probably but, a shock she, to her system. I'm sorry. Well, it was. And yeah. and at the time, she was also going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And so she, she had a lot on her plate. And so I can understand that she needed to sort of put me aside, mm-hmm. put me on a shelf. I'll deal with them later. <laughs> I got bigger fish to fry right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I did send her a very long message uh, just about myself, you know, another sort of biographical sort of thing. And I wrote it in a way that she could share it with my birth mother. Mm-hmm. At least she would know who I am. Right. And that I wasn't looking for anything other than I'd like to get to know you. I also sent a bunch of pictures of me through the years from childhood all the way on through till now. Mm. She did later tell me that she tried to share both 
the message and the photos with my birth mother and my birth mother refused to to hear the words or look at the pictures. Mm. To her credit, she did try several times. Right. Then the pandemic hit. <laughs> Is your birth mother still living? She passed away uh, just this past September. Oh, um, I'm sorry. We, yeah, I hadn't had any contact with my half-sister since just before the pandemic started. She did contact me at the end of August to let me know that my birth mother was in the hospital and was at the end of her life. Mm. I expressed my condolences to her and she sent me her phone number and she said, you know, if you would like to call, feel free. And I wrote back and I said, you know what, we can we can put a phone call on hold until until life settles down a little bit. I didn't feel like we had to to rush things. I didn't want her to be in sort of a heightened state of angst and worry herself and then be introduced, you know, be bringing another family member into the picture. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then she let me know when my, when my birth mother did pass. And so I was following the, their local newspaper looking for an obituary. I knew that, that my sister was trying to get her kids home for the funeral because they were in college and in the military. So it was going to take a little bit of time anyway. I did see that the funeral was going to be on October 1st. And if they had a Zoom link, I would have joined the funeral that way. So October 1st was a Saturday. On that Friday, I was at the doctor's office waiting for an appointment. And I opened Facebook just to kill some time before they called me in. And the very first post was from my sister's Facebook account. And I'm, I'm reading it, and it wasn't reading properly. First of all, it wasn't in her voice. Every, you know, everybody has a writing style. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't written in her voice. And it talked about our mother. Well, my sister was basically an only child, so the wording was wrong. Well, then I look, I'm looking down a little bit more on the page, my half-sister passed away as well. Mm. I just, I couldn't believe it. She apparently had had abdominal pain for months, didn't get it checked out, and come to find out, I learned later, she died of liver failure. Oh, that's tragic. It, It is so tragic. And her kids are... In their early 20s, her daughter is in college. My sister was only 49 years old. Mm. So and sorry. so those, mm. yeah, and those poor kids had to, had a joint funeral for their grandmother and their mother. Oh my goodness. So it, your birth mom uh, dies and then your sister dies. Yes. Just, it was like four weeks later that, that my that my sister died. Right. So. And this was kind of recent, last year? Yes, yes, just this past September. Oh, wow. I never met my sister. I never talked to her. I had shared some messages with her, but never actually talked with her. So in my head, I'm I'm sort of mourning the lost opportunity right. to have gotten to know her. And I am sorry that I pushed off having a phone call with her because if I had 
taken her up on the opportunity when she presented it, I would have at least talked to her once. Right. And and that was yeah. actually going to be my next question, because I know there are people listening that are thinking about searching or thinking about calling or whatever. And is there anything you would do different besides what you just said? I would say no. Mm-hmm. Because rushing things is never good, in my opinion. I agree. Granted. Hey, you want to go to the movies? Great. Yes, let's go. <laughs> you, jump, you jump into that sort of thing. Right. But when there's relationships that need to be built, maybe jumping in feet first is not the best way. Maybe take it in measured steps. Granted, when I contacted my paternal side, it was that was very quick, and, and I might have done a couple things different, but it all worked out. Mm-hmm. But it was it was clear with my maternal side that I needed to tread just a little more carefully, mm-hmm. and and so I did. Now that said, as soon as I found out about my sister's passing, I wrote a letter to her children. Uh, you know, I did a, a, some searching on the on the internet to find out where where my sister lived, and I sent it to that address. And I felt like I needed to do it more quickly only because it appeared that she was renting her home Mm -hmm. and in that case her children would have to be emptying out the house with relative speed and that address was not going to work anymore right so i did send it i haven't heard from them and i i do plan to reach out to them sooner than later i know that that they still have access to their mother's Facebook accounts, so I can send a, a message through Facebook Messenger. And they can also see my whole conversation that I had with their mother. Right. So That Facebook has been a big tool in our community. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like the word tool because that is one tool. Mm-hmm. DNA testing is another tool. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, none of it's magical. Right. You know, if your family member's name is John Smith, you're never going to find them on Facebook. Right. <laughs> they need you need to match with John Smith, the right John Smith on Ancestry DNA to to make the connection. And even then, you might match with a, a second cousin, a third cousin. At that point, you just you have to reach out and craft a letter that puts you in the most positive light and is a, is level headed and. You, you can't, in my opinion, you can't really express too much emotion because that could could be very off-putting. You seem you so grounded. You know, each time I talk to you or we communicate, I feel mm-hmm. the groundedness. And, and I appreciate you sharing how different the search and reunion went on your paternal yeah. side versus your maternal side, which suggests that you took the approach that you saw fit based on the situation and the circumstances, which were very different. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. 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 I try, I try to be in my day to day life based in reality mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, things are what they are. I, I try to act rationally and with empathy too. I, I do try to put myself in other people's shoes. Mm-hmm. How am I, coming across to somebody else. 
yeah, or that's good. What what might they have going on in their life or in their history that is uh, going to affect how my coming into it plays a role? There was a male adoptee early on two years ago in the podcast that said something similar to what I'm hearing you say. Mm-hmm. We are when we are searching and wanting to connect with our biological family, we're coming into the middle of their movie, just like they're coming into the middle of our movie. And so Mm -hmm. it is a matter of weighing things, as you just said, like taking into consideration what's going on in their life. I mean, your sister Mm -hmm. was going through quite a bit when you surfaced. So, yeah, it's like that should be considered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you have to meet people where they are, mm-hmm. and and so I did. I just tried to be very considerate and and empathetic to what she was going through, and and I knew that I couldn't push the issue. It wasn't going to get me anywhere. Right. Well, like I said earlier, I just appreciate when male adoptees say yes to the podcast because I I get a male adoptee saying that they heard another male adoptee say something that was so powerful. They appreciated hearing it. And while I'm sure male adoptees listen to female adoptees, they want to hear from other male adoptees. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. it's important. So I, yeah, I appreciate you, you doing this. And I guess we can wrap things up and I'll ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? The thing I would say, because I've, I've heard this said by other adoptees and other podcasts many times, is people often mourn the loss of having grown up with their half-siblings. And, it's, you know, it's, especially in situations where things are just on a, a, a positive trajectory, I guess. But I would say that the only relationship that you really definitely missed out on is might be the relationship with the biological mother. Your siblings likely would not have been your sibling mm. or the same siblings. Right. Because if your birth mother kept you and was trying to raise you, she might not have had the opportunity to meet the next man in her life. Mm, that's powerful, and, Jonathan. You, you got and, me thinking about my brother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. Any siblings that you had subsequent to to your birth would likely be very different people. Yeah. And I often think uh, if you go back and change anything in the past, wouldn't it change everything? Right. Yeah. Right. And and even if your birth parents did stay together and did marry and had more children that are now your full siblings, it still would not have been those exact people. Mm. Because you would have already been in the picture. So different opportunities for the parents to conceive would have been presented. And so you still would have had some different siblings. You would, I, I just truly think you would never have had the same siblings. Mm-hmm. Wow, this but, has been a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having it with me. Well, well thank you. I, I, I'm glad I, I reached out to you and you have just such a gentle way about you with your guests that I I knew that we would have a good conversation. When Jonathan reached out to me, 
I was pleased to have an adoptee say out loud that being an adopted person is simply a part of their lived experience and it doesn't define you. That resonates with me. It's merely a part of my identity and hopefully I don't and won't over-identify with it. It warmed my heart when Jonathan empathetically weighed the way to reunite with his biological mother based on her health challenges at the time. He considered the importance of managing his maternal reunion differently than he did with his paternal side. There's no one-size-fits-all or one way to show up in another person's life, especially when there is no shared history. Social media, such as Facebook, can and is a wonderful resource during search and reunion. We can gather valuable information that sometimes can bring sad news when we least expect it. I felt sorrow for Jonathan having to experience a profound sense of loss and grief with the passing of his birth mom followed by the transition of his biological sister. I can appreciate that he took the initiative to acknowledge and extend the invitation as an uncle to his sister's children. Thank you, Jonathan, for having this conversation with me. I enjoy hearing about your perspectives and a willingness to be a part of our community in ways that work best for you. By being on podcasts, it is a big contribution. We have no way of knowing who's listening, learning, and being encouraged by your words all over the world. When I asked you the question, what besides being an adoptee is a part of your identity and lived experience? You beautifully answered, you've been told you are a nice guy. I couldn't agree more except to add extremely nice. You went on to write, you're a do-it-yourself kind of person, proud of your career accomplishments, and feeling a deep satisfaction to be married to your wife of 34 years. I can't think of a better way to describe in your words, living the dream. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow and or give a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I hope you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is the best way for me to grow the show. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adoptee land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community. Thank you so much for being here.